It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson. Everything and anything football. It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. All in the game, City Talk 105.9 on the Anfield Wrap on Friday. We've got Amy Lawrence in. Um, Dave Downey, by the way, can't make it today. Um, all of our love's going out to Dave at the moment. I hope he's uh, he's dealing with things. Um, we got Amy Lawrence in, and um, Amy said she thought the side that will win the game between Arsenal and Liverpool will be the side that does better without the ball. I have invited Amy back now to say, my word, I got that one right. Something that doesn't happen for a football journalist often enough, I think, Amy. You got it, I must say. It's- you know, you, you could probably speak to me um, for the next year and I wouldn't necessarily get so lucky. So, yeah, I'll <laughs> bask in the, in the moment. Um, watching the game uh, in the ground, I haven't watched it back, I haven't had opportunity yet. Um, I couldn't believe how little Liverpool did to deal with what Mikel Arteta was doing. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen a, side, a game between two sub, top sides run by someone out of central midfield like that. It was um, it was similar, but much quite different to what Yaya Torre did to Manchester United early in the season. It was very much he very much run, ran the game with his pass selection, with his tactical intelligence, making himself available. It was it was a sumptuous performance. I'm, I'm glad you picked that out because Arteta's not somebody who normally gets applauded. Arsenal. He's sort of a fair bit down the list. He tends to be one of those players who's appreciated by, you know, the, the cognoscenti and um, it, most people would obviously go for the, the, the slightly more glamorous players. But I, I think I would say, for a bad luck to Liverpool, but I think that's probably Arteta's best performance in an Arsenal shirt, actually. Um, he seemed to have an extra level of energy and, and almost the pace about his, his game that is something I haven't seen that much from him. His his intelligence, his reading of the game, uh, I love the way that he's reinvented himself, really. He's a very different player, I think, from, from the player who was so impressive up at Everton. And his, it, it, it was a big one for him because Flamini has been the one who has been um, much getting really getting all the credit for the yeah. defensive midfield work at Arsenal this season. And there was a lot of people who were, I think, genuinely worried that without Flamini, there was visions of Suarez and Sturridge going past everyone in a blur. And I think that Arsenal knew what they had to do was cut off those supply lines, and that's where Arteta excelled. It really did. I mean, it, it, it was it, it was both with and without the ball. The, the, the shape that Arteta and Ramsey held without the ball was excellent. Uh, neither got sucked in, got pulled around, particularly by Suarez and Sturridge. But it was a real stark contrast, I thought, to Liverpool's holding midfielders. Uh, Gerrard and Lucas looked as though the entire football match had come as an enormous surprise to them, almost as though they didn't know that this game was good. They thought it was Sunday, something had got wrong, they got, the communication had gone wrong in the post, and they'd been out together having an excellent time with each other's wives, uh, watching some excellent cinema on, uh, on Friday night, and just only a bottle of wine, but just enough to put them off the game. It was that sort of territory I felt from Gerard and Lucas. They just simply couldn't cope with the movement that Arsenal were producing around them, whereas Arteta and Ramsey, Arteta especially, just made the football match look easy. Yeah, I think Rizitsky also played an important part. Oh, hugely. Part, but, but making what, himself available all the time, constantly looking to pick up a little bit of space, which just which, which gave Henderson something else to do. But I think um, it's interesting what you said. Uh, you know, some Arsenal supporters that I spoke to after the game, and when you see a player in the flesh maybe once or twice a season, which obviously is the case if you, you go to all your home games and then you're seeing another, um, another team rock up once or twice a season... That's when you sometimes see the difference, and, and it's funny what you should say about Gerard, because obviously everybody knows what kind of a, a, a player Gerard is and has been over his career. But 
it was almost a bit shocking to see the slowness. And I think there were some people who remarked upon it who, you know, yes, everybody knows as a player gets older, obviously that's something that's going to give quite quickly. Um, and, and a lot of players find ways of getting around that and changing their game somehow. And obviously Gerard's still a, a fantastic footballer, but he, as someone who you don't see every week in the flesh, you could see the difference. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's, it's striking that you say that because I think it's a conversation now that sort of needs to be had at Anfield. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had at Melwood. But where I was in the away end, it was a conversation that was being very actively and aggressively had by the Liverpool supporters as well at the time whilst the football match was ongoing. It strikes me as an odd situation, really, with Gerard, Amy. It's not one that I've seen very often in that normally these footballers get themselves managed out um, before this sort of point, I think, really emerges. Gerard plays every single game for Liverpool and tends to play every single minute of every single game. For instance, the only minute he's missed so far this season are the last five against West Brom. And you don't see that happening with other players. And even with Gerard early in his career, he played a huge amount of football last season as well, a huge amount of league football. And I think it's striking, really. I think that... You know, it, the, this is the conversation, really. Are Liverpool better off getting Steven Gerrard in bursts where he can still burst than this Steven Gerrard that's currently trying to manage himself through games well, and therefore looks blunted? Very interesting. But is it a fitness question, a, a stamina question, or is it a, just a slowness question? That's he, the point. Are you saying that you can see... Gerard still at times being vintage and wonderful, or is it a slightly bigger issue? And and I guess that's the that's the the question because I don't know. I think about a player like Zidane, for example, who towards the end of his career he you know he naturally slipped further back in in the team and began to play, you know to be slightly less physical and, and conserving his runs and being a bit more clever about when he was on the ball and, and when he was off the ball and what he was doing in those times when he was off the ball. So he didn't knacker himself out. Was still able to affect games magnificently and cleverly and you, you have to it, but it, a lot of that is in the player's head you know Zidane for example took a decision as he got older that that was how he was going to play so that he could still be effective and I guess the issue for Steven Gerrard is to for him to have that conversation with himself if you like do I adjust my game do I still try and play the game I've always well, played my whole career or do I try and you know try and alter it slightly I so think that he, I, I can think be he's effective but differently I think he's over adjusted Amy I think he's actually made himself become a little too pedestrian I'd rather see him throw himself into it for 60 and then maybe need to be pulled than this version of him that gets himself through 90 minutes and I think that's the problem. My problem with him isn't, isn't, it isn't so much this. It isn't the idea that I think he's very much reinvented himself because, for instance, he never used to sit so deep. Uh, you never see him at his best there. He's, he's spoken about this publicly that he can't quite do what he used to be able to do. He seems to have an awareness of that. And he, he has at times this season looked like he's trying to turn it on. But suddenly, up against better players, players who are better tactically, be, be, players who are better technically, players who are, who, who are that step above, it looked like it was just a bit too far for him. And I'd rather see him be good for it. For, for a burst than find himself trying to play at that level for 90. Mm, I think you might be being slightly unfair by saying all the players around him were, were better than, than Gerard. It's just that at the moment with this Arsenal team, the midfield is the department of that team that is functioning beautifully. You just have a moment sometimes with a team where, it, for example, obviously the Suarez and Sturridge situation for, for Liverpool, where when it clicks, they go through a golden period and it just looks like perfection. And I think at this moment in time, the Arsenal midfield, even though there's little shifts and changes of personnel, Wilshire comes in or Arteta or Flamini or Rosicki 
or uh, Aaron Ramsey and they're switching about and Ozil and so on. It's they're just all on the same wavelength. They're just on form at the minute. And I know that that you know that wasn't necessarily the case when they lost in the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund. And <clears throat> excuse me, they're then coming up against a different level as well. But. You know, I think it's slightly unfair to maybe be too judgmental on on Gerard on the basis of that. I think the other issue that Gerard's got is Lucas next to him as well isn't again isn't lacks pace and lacks the ability to put himself about. So if it was one of them, then I think Liverpool would be finding it a little bit easier. And I think if Lucas or Gerard were playing with somebody else who was a natural a natural holder and also had more energy and was able to get about the park a little bit more, then I think both of them would be looking like a better footballer. And I thought that that was marked really. And 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 this comes back to the amount of time that that Arteta. I had on the ball, you know, Liverpool, There was, I think there was a point when it was either about midway through the second half, you saw Liverpool press Arsenal back into their own final third with the ball for one of the few times they managed to do it, Suarez was leading, leading this pressing process, and then Mertesacker just popped a little ball into Arteta and Arteta had 15 yards of room and Suarez turned around and looked at his entire midfield and he threw his arms up as if to say well I've done all this why aren't at least two of you able to come with me and at the minute Henderson's able to go with him because he's younger he's got the legs but Lucas and Gerrard but both of them just simply can't do that and I think that's the problem that Liverpool have got and I think that this season when Liverpool when sides get about Liverpool Arsenal aren't the first team to do it Southampton did it as well then I think that's where they're going to they're gonna struggle with sides who very much get on the front foot and try to push Liverpool back and I think that's that's got to be the concern but to go back to Arsenal how good do you think this side is do you think that this side can genuinely challenge for the league championship now um, well, if you if you watch Match of the Day every Saturday night, they give you a pretty definitive answer. That's become a, a bit of an in joke amongst Arsenal supporters. That um, Alan Hansen, in particular, seems to seem to look as if he's eaten something very unpleasant whenever he's asked a question. Um, it's, it's still way too early. And it's ten games, Amy. Come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Look, it's, it's look, no, it's ten games. It's eight, ten games. Look, it's, it's, it's ten games is enough to say you're challenging. It's not enough to say that you're going to win it. That's, I'm not asking you to say that you're going to win it. That'd be ridiculous. But it is enough to say that there's a genuine because there's challenges and there's challenges. For instance, what, I, what I'm asking is, is it different to what went on um, the season? I think it's either 07 or 08. 2008. 2008, yeah. when Arsenal got to February and yep. went to absolute pieces. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very good analogy. And actually, um, I was speaking to Flamini uh, in an interview a couple of weeks ago, and he he's the sort of surviving member of that team, albeit he's he's uh, gone and come back again. But he was he looked at me as if as if he wanted to kill someone just by even mentioning it. It was such a sore memory. And I think having somebody like that inside the dressing room who can remember what happened and you know how how grim it was to be in a great position and bottle it which is exactly what Arsenal did at that time do you not think it was his legs that went I thought it like I just thought they looked because that, that was the season when Arsenal came to Anfield and were brilliant for 25 minutes in well, it, the, in it the it European fell, Cup it all fell apart in a game at, at Birmingham when Eduardo got got his leg broken yes. very badly and uh, William Gallas um, had a massive strop because Birmingham got a last minute penalty and and it seemed to completely uh, demoralise everybody and send them into this this huge kind of welter of despair, which they just it was just took them too long to shake themselves out of it. But uh, there's always been that fragility about about Arsenal's Wenger teams, you know, particularly in recent years, where it doesn't seem to take much to knock them off course. Uh, and when it goes horribly wrong, it, you know, a, li- a little thing can can become a very big disaster sometimes. <laughs> but I, I I think this is a team that. That they're really good guys in this team, and when you talk to them, they're quite, you know, by the standards of sort of your average modern footballer, they're they're quite modest. They're they're very hardworking professionals, and they're decent guys. And I think they're very very desperate to try and, you know, actually win something after quite a long period without. Not that that means to say that that's going to come down to much when 
in the you know the 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 final part of the season you're up against Chelsea or Man City with all their firepower you know I think it's going to be it's going to be whoever it is whether it's Arsenal whether it's Liverpool whether Tottenham can sustain a challenge whether Everton can sneak up there anybody outside of basically in my view Man City and Chelsea is just going to have such a tall tall order keeping up with the the sheer depth and the sheer kind of the power that they have within their squads it's just very tough Excellent stuff. Amy, thanks so much for joining us at Short Notice tonight and All in the Game. Uh, and Amy, I think Amy really fancies it. She's just trying to keep it under. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to talk to Juliet Jakes very briefly, who's going to tell us what it's like to get beat 7 0. It's All in the Game on City Talk 105.9. It is indeed all in the game. My word, I'm very loud there in my ears, Jake. Thank you very much. Uh, City Talk 105.9. No Dave Downey tonight, unfortunately, but we are going to be joined now, and it's very, very brave of her to do this by uh, Juliet Jakes. Um, the, the decency of this Juliet at such short notice cannot be underestimated. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard Juliet before, she's a, a Norwich City season ticket holder, and she's coming on to let us know what it's like to get beat 7-0. Uh, Juliet, it's not the best, is it? It was very bad. Um... It's it's a difficult one because I don't think anybody seriously expected Norwich to win or even to draw. Um, and, you know, even a kind of 3 or 4-0 defeat, people would, um, would sort of look at that and just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, they've spent an awful lot more than us. But when you get to the sort of point where the old Vidi printer has to spell out the score, <laughs> yes. it's like an accident. Um <laughs> That's, that's the problem. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing that, that sort of strikes me with this. And I, I'm trying to get into the mindset of it because I, I find it quite interesting, for one. But I often... Earlier this season, we played Crystal Palace at home and we went 3-0 up very, very quickly. And Ian Holloway did a number of things which suggested he was really rather happy with three and yeah. was, was suddenly desperate to ensure it stayed like three. Mm. And I remember always, whenever I've seen any side do this, I once saw um, a David Moyes Everton team go to Arsenal and get beat 2-0. And it was like they took 2-0. Um, and because it was 2-0 after about 20 minutes. And they only really had to go with the last 15 minutes. That's not to have a go with David Moyes or Everton. It just it strikes me as sometimes. I think it's easy if you're the sort of side that tends to get on top of these encounters to go, well, surely you just keep having a go. But if the alternative is is, is getting done for seven, and that, re- that, that I mean, that's got to knock Norwich so much. Well, maybe. I mean, the last couple of times we've shipped seven goals, it's actually worked out quite well for us. <laughs> I love uh, the fact that you've got history. lost 7-1 at home to Colchester uh, in League One a couple of years ago, and we sacked our manager and stole theirs and got back-to-back promotions. So... Um, <laughs> By the same logic, we could sack Hute and still Pellegrini, and we'll be in the Champions League in a couple of years. But um, <laughs> that might not happen. But I, I think these kind of heavy defeats, you know, you can kind of galvanise a side. I mean, you talk about Liverpool and Crystal Palace. Um, and, you know, losing 9-0 to Liverpool was probably the best thing that ever happened to Crystal Palace. Because of the, the, the winning the semi-final, the other end, the, yeah, the, the return you know, they fixture almost. they got a very good team together. They made a few very clever signings. And, you know, they got their best ever... Uh, top flight finish the season after I think um, it's been, so it has been it has been a frustrating start to the season though for Norwich I mean it's it, it's still a very very odd league where in the top 8 are likely to be the top 8 and Norwich find themselves whilst in 18th they're only 6 points away from 9th well absolutely and there's no reason why we couldn't finish 9th with, uh, with the right management I mean, you know I, I've been on the show before and so I think we've got a strong squad and I still do I just don't think Chris Hutton really knows what to do with it he doesn't really seem to be able to make the team work 
as a kind of attacking force. I mean, that was Paul Lambert's approach. It was just kind of always, we'll score more than you. And yeah. we only kept, a, I think, three clean sheets in his season in the Premier League. And one of those was against a very, very bad Villa team on the final day. Um, but Hewton doesn't really quite seem to be able to make being kind of solid and defensive work either. Is he under real pressure now? He is, yeah, under increasing pressure. I mean, we've got a run, I think we've got seven home games, which are all against teams sort of, you know, outside the top eight or so. Um, I mean, we've got West Ham at home on Saturday, and he's going to have to get a good result against them uh, and probably get a good result by playing slightly less kind of timid uh, and cautious football. But West Ham are currently playing with no one up front, so well, you would think it's an, it's an opportunity. Uh, I saw us draw 0-0 with West Ham last season, which at the time I was saying was the worst game of football I've ever seen, but I've seen about five worse since then. Um, and I, you know, people aren't really going to put up with, with something similar at home against a team, like you say, with, with no, no visible attacking force at all. And then we've got, you know, kind of Palace and Swansea and Newcastle and Sunderland are coming up at home as well. And, you know, we're going to need to win three or four of the next sort of six or seven home games, I think, for him to keep his job. I think that, that, that you know, the, the, the worry, my worry there is, as a man who panics would be, you know, the idea that if you sack him the other side of, of, of too many of them, then, you, you, you know, you, you, you're knocking your own winnable games off the list yeah, would be well, my concern. You know, I mean, even now, you know, if I read the message boards and things, the forums, a lot of people, there's an awful lot of goodwill towards him. I mean, he's a tremendously likeable man, and there are all sorts of reasons to want him to do well. Um, and it's not so much that we think he's a terrible manager who's taken the club in the wrong direction. It's just very hard to see how he takes the club forward. But... I think that's a real problem for any manager outside the kind of top six or so. I mean, there's this kind of glass ceiling. It, it, and how do you keep a club kind of fresh and working between sort of 8th and 17th? Uh, this is, well, that, that's going to be an interesting challenge, I think, for uh, Potticino, I think, going into next season. If, mm. if Southampton don't do exceptionally well this and finish with, with a solid points total and look very much like a forward proposition, because I think there is that problem of, you know, all these sides, I think, that find themselves in that sort of bracket between 16th and 8th every single season... Th- th- an element of staleness does sort of creep in. I think it's it's difficult to see. You know, it's you don't want to sack managers almost for the sake of sacking managers. But there's a, there's a side to it which is, you know, what, what what's your other move? Well, listen. I mean, I thought Stoke sacking Pulis was particularly interesting because on the face of it, he'd done a very good job. You know, he'd kept the club up. He got them into Europe. Uh, you know, he'd kind of kept the club's identity. Um, but you know, also made it a sort of viable Premier League side. But you know, what made the fans restless was they're only really prepared to watch that type of football for so long. And um, there's a similar issue with Chris Hewton, really, and patience will get quite short if, you know, you go out to defend with all your might and you still manage to lose 7-0. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the sadness thing that gets me more than anything. I remember sort of... I towards the last three three months of um, Gerard Houllier being in charge at Anfield, sort of mm. concluding that something needed to change. And again, it's quite similar, really. Very, very likeable man, but just not trying to be, not being able to, you know, he won those trophies for us and, and, and very much given Liverpool its pride back. And But there was this real sadness and this, and that was going around the ground as well, I felt. There was a real air of sadness about a lot of, a lot of what was going on. And they're almost, in a sense, they're the worst sackings. Oh, it's a lot easier to sack a dislikable manager, isn't it? Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Hodgson was easy. I went out. I mean, that, that, that one was sold for me. That... Oh, the day we sat Glen Roder, I, I did a jig, I think, an actual jig. <laughs> Glen Roder left Norwich City. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Liverpool sat Hulier, and it, it worked out incredibly well for them. Um, you it's know, just I mean, just difficult at this stage of the season. I mean, so genuinely, then with these home games to come, you know, you've got to think it is possible for Norwich to to climb the table. It's 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 putting that run of games together. Anyone who puts a run of games together in this topsy turvy league is uh, is looking good. But what kept us up last season was the fact that we went, I think, ten league games unbeaten, which at one point was the second best run in Europe after Barcelona, uh, and that kept us up. And we only won, I think, four games either side of it, and we hadn't won at all before. Um, I mean, you know, we won our last two games, which meant we finished 11th, which I think papered over quite a lot of the cracks. It certainly made us look a lot better than we had been for, for much of the season. But, yeah, I mean, we, we are going to have to find a kind of fairly spectacular run of form, and we do have a couple of, you know, we don't have lots of players out injured, but we have... Um Snodgrass and Redmond okay. I think. I'm going to have to finish it there, Juliet. Uh, coming up now on All in the Game, we've got Rory Smith. Don't go anywhere. After this break, he'll be with you. It's All in the Game on City Talk 105.9. It's all in the game with Neil Atkinson and Dave Downey, but without Dave Downey tonight. But for part three, we've got Rory Smith sitting in. Rory's just told me there was fabulous news in the world, which I didn't know. And so I'm going to presume you're as ignorant about this as I am, listener. Uh, it is this. Uh, Sven Eriksson has got himself an autobiography. Rory, what's the content like? The, the content is, is different to all the other football autobiographies that you've ever read. So it's been a great summer for autobiographies. As we, we had Harry Redknapp, which was essentially kind of a list of things that weren't true. And then we had Sir Alex Ferguson, which was a 71-year-old 70, man who's won everything and had the perfect opportunity to be really sort of grand and, and, and make peace with his rivals, who spent an entire book just taking pot shots at people. And then we've got Sonjorn Eriksson, who instead of talking about his, his many and varied adventures across the world, managing in all sorts of different countries and all the things that he's done over three decades, and this is the thing we forget with Eriksson, that Ericsson's been a great, been a top-class manager for so long. He was at Benfica in like 1984 or something. He's been winning he's been, things since he has been winning things since the early 80s. Sven Ericsson. Yeah, it's incredible, and it, because of because of he, he had the England job in this in this country. He's just sort of oh, he's the man who failed with England, even though he took them to three quarterfinals, and that really should be good enough for England. And we all kind of need to accept that. But he's he's had this incredibly long career, probably as long as Ferguson's. But despite that, he spent he, he, from the from the serialisations in one of Britain's right-wing newspapers. It seems to be that he's written an entire book just about all the women he's had sex with. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I think it's pure. In the same way that maybe you could argue Ferguson's is pure. This is pure. This is what Sven's always crucially a heart been about. Well, I, I, I think Sven Joran Eriksson, I genuinely believe, having read the serialisation, which he doesn't appear to, to mention football. It, it's as though he <laughs> is a Lothario who happens to be a football manager rather than a football manager who happens to be a Lothario. And it it includes the, the, the immortal line, my first marriage broke up mainly because I was having an affair. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, is... were the other, what were the other factors, Sven? <laughs> what, else, what, else was, what else was wrong? Do you know what I mean? Were you not doing the washing up? <laughs> he said, well, Sven, you're having an affair, and if you were doing the washing up, I'd be willing to overlook that, but, but you're not, so I'm going to get rid of you. It's just amazing. I, mean, it, I, I, I would normally say, don't read football autobiographies, apart from Rafa, Rafa Benitez's Champions League Dreams. Uh, but definitely read Sven's because it, it, it's just, it sounds so randy. 
Fantastic. <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea that it's a bit of blue, that it's going to have to be sold in plain covers. Uh, it's top shelf material in WH Smith, so you can't read it in public for people looking down on you. That's sort of territory, that's Sven's autobiography. The other thing we were going to talk about, Rory, is um, my argument that practically everyone who's playing top flight, top flight football at the moment is a bit rubbish. That there isn't really a good side amongst them, that everyone's much more flawed than you think they are. I thought even Arsenal, who were now clear top of the league, looked very flimsy at times when Liverpool actually, you know, bothered to try and win the ball back and that um, against them on, on on Saturday night. You know, they, they look like a side that could very much be got at and that's the first serious test in this division. I haven't failed them in, uh, abroad and in the League Cup. It's it's an odd season, isn't it? It's a very odd season. I think you're right, you know. I think I think what, what Liverpool learnt at the Emirates is that they are not yet ready to be title contenders, and I suspect you disagree with me on that, but I, I, I think Liverpool are better than everyone thought they'd be. I think they'll be closer to the title than maybe we thought they'd be, but I don't think they are. They, they will be going into sort of March or April as, as genuine kind of possibilities of winning it. But I don't think that game was actually that instructive for Arsenal because, because Liverpool aren't a Chelsea, they're not a Manchester City, they're not, not even a Manchester United. They're not one of the sides that, that Arsenal will expect to have around them at the end of the season. They are a level below that. The, the gap between those levels, if that makes sense, maybe isn't quite as broad as we thought, but they are a level below that. I think what was much more instructive for Arsenal, given where they want to be, is how easily Borussia Dortmund dominated them in, at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in Dortmund on Wednesday night. It's a fascinating fixture, that one, I think. It's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant tie, and I think, I mean, I think everyone... I, I kind of get annoyed with Arsenal, because I think that they... This is, this is the sort of thing, the statement that gets people in, people in trouble. I think their fans are more fickle than any other fan, in the sense that, with Arsenal, there is all, it's always famine or feast. There's, n- there's never any sort of, yeah, do you know what, we're doing okay. The, the general feeling seems to be, right, we've signed Mesut Ozil now, we're going to win the title. Yeah. Or we've not signed Mesut Ozil, we're, we're gonna, you know, it's awful, everything needs to change. There's very little... I guess it's the, the pro- I can understand it. It's the product of so, so many years of frustration of being nearly there, and not doing the obvious thing, and, and not being able to quite challenge. And also, they've been sold this line so many times, I think, that they're nearly there, that they're nearly there. And after a while, you probably start to think, either, well, we are nearly there, we need one signing, or this is a lie, we're not nearly there, to, to go away. And I, I, I do find that irritating, but no one can deny that they're great to watch, and they're a wonderful club in the sense that everything is done the right way, and, and you know, they, they, haven't been sold, they haven't sold out to that kind of boom-and-bust economy that, that tends to sort of dominate in football. And Dortmund are the same, and I think we, I think they're two clubs that most most other teams should look up to in terms of the way they run and in terms of the way they play football. I think there's a lot to admire. So it's a great tie. But what we saw at the Emirates, to draw this very long answer to a close, is that Dortmund are a level above Arsenal in the same way as Arsenal are a level above Liverpool. Well, my thing on this is it's all about ceilings, and I'm looking at it this ceiling as this season as to what everyone's ceiling in terms of points. And this is why I still think Liverpool are in with a shout because I think Liverpool have to absolutely maximise their ceiling. They have to pretty much go okay. Realistically, the most we can hope to get possibly is 87 points. And if say they get 84 and 84 proves good enough, then that's why I think they're in with a shout. If everyone keeps taking points off each other and if no one else is quite got the consistency and that's why I actually do think that they're in with a shout at this stage they've got to look at the games coming up against Fulham to a certain extent Everton away but certainly then against Hall against Cardiff against West Ham and just keep capitalising on those games and picking those points up and that's how you'll begin to begin to get something going uh, rather than necessarily fretting too much over an Arsenal defeat Do you know what I, I, I think there's always, there's always been kind of a myth about the title which is that it's won in the team's 
in the game between the teams who are contending for it. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't believe it is true. Because I think what you, what you have to do to, to win the title, or certainly to contend for the title, definitely to contend for the title, is basically beat the teams who are worse than you. So if you beat the, the bottom 13 in the Premier League, then who are all fairly sort of uniform, Southampton and Everton kind of sits in seventh and maybe a, a class above, and then you, you kind of have everybody, have everybody else. If you win those games, then you will be in a position to potentially be near the top of the table from the end of the season. And for Liverpool, that's what Suarez and Sturridge bring them, and that's why I think Suarez and Sturridge are so important, because they pretty much say those sides, one of us will put them to the sword, maybe both of us at which point they need to be very afraid, but we can put those sides to the sword almost every week between us, and that's why I think Rodgers is persistent with the three at the back. He he wants the two up front, and he's prepared to do whatever it takes to get there. The side who I'm really interested in, and they played at Goodison is Spurs, because thus far they've not looked great, but they've just picked so many points up against those sorts of sides. They're all one nils. it's all ugly stuff. In the, in the same way that, that, that everyone's flattering, Chelsea are flattering to deceive a little bit. Manchester City look fantastic at home and ropey on the road. United are, are, are getting moist everywhere. There's still this, there's, there's this idea that you know Spurs, again, if you think of a side that could, could come through the middle, they've got to look, look like they're a possibility there. I, I really think Spurs are. I, gen, I, think, I think, again, Spurs are a level above Liverpool. I think that there's kind of the top four, then there's Spurs because they're an unknown quantity, and then, then there's Liverpool. I think what's interesting this season is the gaps between those groups have come down. And equally, the gap behind Liverpool and Everton and Southampton, say, has come down, probably Swansea as well. Um, I think they're all, it's all a lot closer at the top, which is why it's much more interesting this season, even though the, there's no question that the top four, top five clubs aren't as good as they used to be. There is absolutely no question about that. It is foolhardy to try and deny it. Well, I, I was I was saying this I was saying this earlier earlier today to somebody that you think about the the sides that have, have been there or they're about challenging for the title over the last say uh, ten years or so even sides that didn't go on and win the league Liverpool side of 0809, Liverpool side of 0506, those Chelsea sides during that period they'd have marmalised Arsenal at the weekend they would have absolutely battered them and oh, yeah, before you talk no about question. those United sides they'd have won three or four nil. Yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, the Liverpool side of. Oh wait, I was talking about this to someone about this today. A Liverpool side with Mascherano and Alonso in midfield would have destroyed Arsenal. No question about that at all. The 0809 Liverpool side would walk to the Premier League this year without without a shadow of a doubt. And it's the same for a lot of the teams, as you say, who've, who've gone close and who aren't remembered as champions. But they weren't remembered as champions in 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 vintage years for, for English football, really, in terms of the quality at the very top of the division, even if that came at the cost of interest everywhere else. But at the very top of the division, they are the best. That those those. In the era of the Big Four, when they were the Big Four, those were the, were the absolute pinnacle of English football for the last 20, 20 years, really. And yeah, there's no, there isn't a team like that. The, as you say, everyone has obvious flaws, and that, that makes it much more interesting. But it, it, the two things it means is that, yeah, the quality is high, that's fairly obvious. And the other thing is it, is it means that the chances of Champions League success aren't as high, both of this year, because they're not as good as Bayern, Barcelona, Dortmund and Real Madrid, who are the, and probably Juventus, who are the, kind of the, the standard bearers in Europe but also in years to come. Because the problem with the Champions League is that if you don't know you're going to be in it, for certain, you can't attract the same calibre of players. Players will sign for Champions League clubs, the clubs who are always there. Yeah. For someone like Manchester United, if they, if they sort of finish fourth next year, mm. and then you know, the season after that, they could be fourth or fifth. Players will think twice about, uh, do I go for United or do I go for Bayern Munich, who will definitely be in the Champions League. That's the, that's the big issue. I think that's really really interesting. I think that this is sort of one of the thi- one of the issues around to go back to, to to Liverpool as well. When these sides, Arsenal 
you said before you mentioned Dortmund. What Arsenal did to Liverpool? Someone on the Anfield rap, I think it was Nico Price, said a few weeks back. He said if, if this side got it, got top four, got into the Champions League, it might not be very pretty to watch what might happen to it. Certainly because the coefficient wouldn't be strong. And there was a bit of a bit of um and ah and then grumbling and saying, you know, we've got some players there who are as good as anyone. But there is this this tactical deficit as well. I think where in, you know. It didn't. Arsene Wenger is not a legendary tactical manager, uh, but it didn't take much for some combination of him and his players, especially say Mikel Arteta, to realise exactly how you pull that Liverpool side apart. Yeah, absolutely. No, and Wenger wouldn't claim to be a great tactician. I wouldn't have thought. But as you say, they, they, again, it's, it's players of a level above. Like Arteta's not not a world class midfielder by any stretch of the imagination, but he's probably better than Lucas and, and Henderson. And I liked both Lucas and Henderson, but Arteta is a is a more kind of control and influence on a match than either of those players and, and you, you, you saw that they, he, he had options he had movement but the other thing with, with this 3-5-2 and I can understand like you say why Rodgers is playing it but it, it, is, it just looks so kind of cobbled together even when they win and I didn't, I didn't see them against West Brom when by the counts they were, they were impressive for 90 minutes it looked a lot but, better against West Brom, Rory. But I think that there was a couple of issues in that. One was that West Brom played exactly in a manner that would suit Liverpool. Before the game, there was a lot of, you know, well, West Brom might sit back and that might make it difficult for Liverpool. No. Exactly what Liverpool want is sides to come to Anfield and sit back and try to play for a nil-nil. That's what yeah. they want at the minute. What they don't want is someone who actually wants the ball and wants to go and win the ball high up the pitch. Southampton showed how you go and get a result at Anfield. Whereas, um, you know, West Brom showed exactly what you don't do. Even if counterintuitively, it's what you might do practically everywhere else you go. Yeah, no, that, 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 that sounds like an, a typically erudite and intelligent dissection of the situation. But, the, um, yeah, I think that there is an issue there in terms of, of, of what would happen if, if Liverpool, this Liverpool kind of got into the Champions League by hook or by crook and ended up playing the system against, against one, of, one of the very big sides. I mean, what you have to remember with the Champions League is the same with the World Cup, that a lot of the teams that you play aren't of the utmost quality. So I'm sure if Liverpool were, say, in Manchester City's group, this year, mm. instead of City, yeah, they get battered by Bayern, obviously, because most teams will get battered by Bayern. But I'd, I'd, I'd reckon they could pick up enough points to against CSKA, Moscow and Victoria Pilsen to, to get through. And Although CSKA did, it would definitely give them a game, obviously. But if um, they're in Arsenal's group... Oh, then they'd struggle, yeah. But then if you look at Ar- then Arsenal is struggling. And that, that again, is the, the Champions League is the, is the best gauge of the quality of, of a division. And if you, look at, if you look at Arsenal, then they are going to struggle to get out of that group. There's no question. If they... They don't win in in Dortmund, and they've got a real problem. They're gonna have to go. Most likely, they'll have to go to Naples and win. Okay, so to round this up, then I will, you know about how mad this season is about the fact that there's 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 huge amounts of unpredictability. Um, what how, how do you see it unfolding from here? Normally, by now, you've got a very very clear sense of what you expect from a, from a season. It's ten games in. Uh, you know that we are now over a quarter into the season. I mean, do you see anyone? making a break from the top of this league do you see anyone bad you know if we're talking if I was to speak to you again mid-February being 10 points clear no because I think people will keep dropping points I, I suspect what will happen the, the, the two patterns that I can see happening I think Arsenal will continue to pick up points and I think United will improve I think United will start to sort of chug into gear they, will, they won't obviously be particularly impressive and in, it's certainly not a vintage United side but I think they will come up as others who have started well go down a little bit that'd be Everton and Southampton I think will will fade a little bit, although I'd expect those two to finish kind of 7th and 8th. Um, and then I think you, you'll basically see kind of the others doing what they're doing now, which is which is winning games for the most part and then occasionally dropping them and being terrible and everyone's sort of saying, well, actually, hang on, maybe they're not that good. I don't think anyone is good enough to pull away. 
So therefore, then, if I was to put you in the chair at this stage, who do you think? Who do you think will come top four? And who do you think will win it? Uh, top four, I think, would be Arsenal, City, Chelsea, and one of United or Spurs. But I don't want to pick between them. And I think probably Chelsea will win it. You think Chelsea will win the league? Yeah, I, I don't think Chelsea are the best side. I don't think they're the. They're, I don't think Mourinho's particularly done anything interesting or, or ambitious, or you know, I don't think any of that stuff is true, or that he's some sort of magic. Sorcerer, I just think that they have the biggest and best squad, and it's the most balanced squad. The only thing that could counteract that is if David Luiz and Juan Mata try to leave in January. I think that I actually would not currently now, if I was to move my chips around, I started, my, I started the season with them on City, I'd probably shift them myself onto Chelsea at this stage, simply because, despite the results at the weekend, I still think they'll just, they'll just keep picking up just about enough points, and when it gets to April and May, and it begins to get tight, they know what it's about a bit more than possibly a few of those that'll, that'll be around them. Yeah, absolutely, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I, I looked at City at the start of the season and thought, yeah, they're the, they're, they're the winners, and I think they're probably the best team on their day in, in the country, City. But the problem is that Pellegrini is, is struggling, as so many foreign managers do when they first come into the Premier League. He's struggling to work out how you, play, how you set up away from home. Until he sorts that out, they'll continue to drop points. And even if he has sorted it out, the fact that they've done it at the start means everyone else will psychologically think we can get at City when they come to our place, and that will cost them points too. Excellent stuff. That was all in the game this week. Neil Atkinson with a number of people sitting in. You may have guessed I pre-recorded this bit with Rory, so I'm not entirely sure who sat in yet. I'm going to go and sort that one out. Thanks to Rory. I hope he has a nice night, and you do as well. It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9.